This is Barkcast. You ain't nothing but a hound. On each episode of Barkcast, your questions will be answered by professional, senior trainer and owner of Canine Point Academy, Russell D. Russell. On this special episode of Barkcast, Russell chats to Daniel Shuloff from Keto Natural Pet Foods. So welcome to another edition of Barkcast. Another special guest today, we've got Daniel, the CEO of Keto Natural Pet Foods, a company that aspires to be the most honest and progressive pet food company in the world. So Daniel, a big Barkcast welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. So look, I get asked a lot about dog foods in general. What should I feed my dog? What's the best food, etc. So let's just start with that. Tell us a bit about Keto Natural. What is it? What's so good about it? And how did it all kind of come about? It grew out of a book that I wrote and that I published in 2016. The book is called Dogs, Dog Food, and Dogma, and which is a reference to the scientific dogma that I explore in the book. Like, to what degree is the what's being taught as scientific gospel to veterinarians in the United States? To what degree is that stuff reflective of the truly scientifically verified reality? And it's really my attempt to explain why so many do- like dogs and cats in the Western world suffer from chronic, non-communicable diseases. So like there are epidemic level problems among pets in the Western world, among diseases that, you know, unlike COVID say, like yeah. don't spread from one to another. Like, and, and if you think about it for a little bit, problems like obesity, diabetes, arthritis, cancer that don't get spread from one person to another, it's hard to explain how there can be epidemics of things like that. You know, it should. It's true. Like, actually, it's not, point. Right. It's, it's a strange thing. And really fundamentally, what you'll hear an evolutionary biologist tell you is that what's happened is the genes that the animal has like evolved over time and the environment in which those genes are expressed have become disconnected in some kind of way. And as a result, the genes end up doing weird things like giving rise to these diseases. I'm trying to explain why that happened in the US, because in the US, more than half the dogs have, uh, that you're, you know, see on the street are overweight or obese. Basically the same thing applies to cats. Cancer and diabetes are staggeringly common, all these problems. And basically the uh, mainstream veterinary advice in my eyes doesn't hold water. And as I, my book is basically this like pop science book and it just kind of goes through this study says this, this scientist said that, I interviewed this one, she explained it this way, that type of progress. And at the end of the day, the conclusion that I have, the thesis that I put forward in the book is that really it's not as simple as uh, veterinarians have been led to believe in reality, dietary carbohydrate, which is the backbone of the diet of the modern day dog or cat in the Western world, is the villain of the story. Dietary carbohydrate is fundamentally what's at, at fault for problems like obesity, diabetes, and cancer among pets. And uh, after I wrote the book, I basically um, was living in a world in which if you believed that, if you bought what I sold in the book or you read it and you said, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about, there aren't great products for you. If you want to feed yeah. a kibble product to your dog, about the best you could find at that time was 30% carbohydrate. That's about as low as it got. We decided we are going to try to make a product that's truly low in carbohydrate content, but still be a kibble. And that is how Keto Natural was born. We make products that are basically designed to be as low in carbohydrate content as we can conceivably make. And for, again, from an average pet owner perspective, if they were to switch their dog to a low carb, zero carb diet, 
what sort of, I mean, obviously there's the avoidance of longer term disease and what have you and obesity, but what sort of, are there any sort of immediate impacts that they would see or benefits from doing that for their dog? Yeah, I mean, in terms of beneficial things, there, there are a couple of things I'll highlight. I mean, when we ship, we only sell on a subscription basis. Okay. And so when we get a new subscriber, we send them their first bag of food. We actually, there's like a piece of written material in there that's like this, look for this. These are changes you are going to see in your dog. A few things are directly tied to health. Number one is body composition. If you feed your dog, and this has been like proven out in study after study, if you give two dogs the exact same number of calories, but one dog gets mostly protein and less carbohydrate, and the other, the other dog gets mostly carbohydrate and less protein, every time it's done, the carb-eating dogs become fat, and the dogs that don't eat the carbohydrate don't get fat. And so if you have a dog that has a few extra pounds on it, and you feed it exactly the same number of calories as it's always eaten, but you just take the carbohydrate out of that calorie, it's going to lean up. You always see dogs lean up when they switch to very low carbohydrate. Cool. That's number one. Number two, if any of your listeners um, have experienced feeding their dogs a, a raw diet, then you'll know that like the stool that's produced is yeah. really different than the stool that's produced yeah. on, on kibble. Yeah. Um, you know, it's smaller, it's harder, it kind of disintegrates. It's basically yeah. like becomes white and disintegrates. And that's the kind that, that really is a function of nutritional content. It's like most raw diets, it's not that the nutrients are served up raw that produces stool like that. It's what's in the actual food. And yeah. so if you eat a diet that's very low in carbohydrate content, you don't get these like big, gross, whatever. It's often said it's not so much the ingredient that's in the dog food, but the nutrients that are the important aspect of that. So, and that's my very limited knowledge of the subject. Could you expand on that a bit for us? Absolutely. That's, some, that's a statement that I agree with. And cool. I uh, believe that unfortunately few pet, lay pet owners and veterinarians agree with that statement. Unfortunately, like the whole industry in terms of what's marketed to consumers, and again, at least in the United States, is yeah. very ingredient forward and kind of the logic that pet owners who all care about their pets and want to make good decisions for them are kind of um, are led into is a very ingredient forward um, philosophy. The reality is that the body doesn't, when the body consumes food, it doesn't think about uh, ingredients and whether it doesn't differentiate between um, protein from beef sources versus protein, the same exact composition of amino acid proteins from chicken sources. It's all kind of the same. Um, there are you know, different types of nutrients to be sure. And being careful about nutritional intake is an important thing. But there is, if you account for nutrition, there are loads of studies that show different nutritional compositions do different things to dogs' bodies. There is no study that's just grounded in outside of the nutrition, just the ingredients, there's good quality ingredient, bad quality ingredient. All of it has to ultimately filter through, through nutrition. Like that's yeah. the level of which that stuff is experienced by the body. Which is obviously a really important take and a really important point, but for the average pet owner, made, the three things they're gonna look at on the, the, the bag of any dog food is what's the protein level, the fat level, and the carb level as a general thing, because that's what we're conditioned to perhaps look for. So what sort of things should, I mean, obviously cars being the, the, the lowest number on the, the pack, but what sort of things should people be looking for? And obviously to buy Keisha Natural would be the first point, obviously, but like if not, for example, well, actually, here. No, frankly, for my money, if, if you are a pet owner who has A, an unlimited or, or a major budget, and then B, is willing to tolerate the 
time and inconvenience and sanitation issues surrounding feeding a raw, all meat, commercially prepared diet, I believe that that's the gold standard. I'm a believer that feeding your dog consistent with its evolutionary heritage is kind of the closest thing you've got to a guiding principle. And that's what their heritage dictates. All meat, zero carbohydrate in a raw form. Um, however, it does present, if, you know, if, you're, if I'm going to purchase a raw product that's freezing and there's sanitation, there's a lot to it. Yes. Beyond that, once that's taken off the table, I look at nutrition, like I said before, protein and carbohydrate being more important than fat. It's well understood that basically like there are certain nutrients that the regulatory bodies in the United States understand really well that a dog needs to consume in certain quantities every day in order to prevent it from developing a deficiency disease. And that's that applies to like all the various micronutrients, vitamins and minerals, but also applies to fat and specific fatty acids. So as long as your pet food, and I assume that it's regulated um, outside the US in a similar way, if it's regulated for commercial sale, in all likelihood, it's it meets the fat threshold and you're gonna, not gonna like deprive your dog of anything if you don't optimize the fat content. Protein, you absolutely can. Like what is considered the, in the US, the minimum amount of protein that is acceptable to be sold in a commercial product is something like one third the amount that wolves consume on a daily basis. It's an absolutely tiny amount, it's barely 20%, whereas wolves consume 60%. So for my eyes, it's basically find something that is as close to a 60% protein content as you can and minimize carbohydrate intake as much as you can. In terms of going back to the, it's the ingredients, uh, I beg your pardon, it's the nutrient that's in the dog food rather than the ingredient itself. There is more of a movement these days, which is to feed your dog more of a vegan diet, which on the face of it, people would say, well, hang on, how can you possibly do that? Because dogs and wolves are not evolutionary designed to do that. But if we then start looking at the, the, the nutrients that are in the food, maybe there's a way that we can actually do that. It is conceivably possible to manufacture the nutrients that, uh, that, that, that the animal needs. And so, but where I become worried about it is that it requires, in order to do that right now, in order to say, okay, we're gonna do something that's really different from that, that animal's evolutionary heritage yeah. because where you make it exactly right assumes that you've got it exactly right. You understand everything there is to know about the nutrient like requirements of the animal. Often been the case in the course of human history where folks have said, no, 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 we figured it out. We outsmarted mother nature. And in the vast majority of those cases, they've come to look really foolish. Yeah. And so I believe that it's conceptually possible. And I believe that, I, I, I mean, I won't speak to whether it is already at a state where it's possible. No. I mean, we know a lot about what animals need in terms of uh, amino acid content. That's kind of like the most, that was the biggest hurdle for vegan, for zero meat pet foods to become a thing. How are we gonna, there are a lot, there's specific amino acids that are found primarily or only in meat products. Mm -hmm. And so finding ways to make that happen was kind of like the big hurdle. And they're, they're basically all supplemented with synthetic, uh, you know, amino acids. That kind of process is being used. And again, it's like to the, I have no doubt that right now what's being produced meets what we consider to be the nutritional requirements across the board with respect to micronutrients and macronutrients for dogs and cats. But it does still give me hesitance because of the like, don't mess with mother nature argument. Um, it just feels so far away from what's, it's like asking a human being to live alone and say, well, you have your phone or something like that. The phone is just as good as social contact. Maybe, 
maybe it is, maybe we're not quite seeing the whole picture. And I, I worry that something like that's at play. But it's cool. obvious, I mean, that's to say nothing of the ethical, I mean, you know, is pet ownership an ethically defensible thing? Is it can it be right. ethically defensible while we're still ma making livestock? I, I don't know. That's not, that's beyond that's my That's a whole other podcast right there. <laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> and how does that rate work in terms of the range of a dog's life? And we're talking sort of from puppies, juveniles and adults through to seniors. Does the same rule apply or is there a bit of variance in terms of, you know, maybe more sort of a higher protein count for puppies versus your seniors are a bit less active? Um, and, and equally for... You know, some dogs are super, super active. Your your shepherds, your Malinois, and etc. Versus your uh, your sedates or golden that like to sit on the sofa and chill out. So, how does that impact the 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 age and the lifestyle of the dogs that we have? Okay, so two different questions. So, with respect to age in the U.S., there are the regulatory body that governs this stuff doesn't just set one baseline nutritional framework that all the foods need to meet, like I was referring to before, that yep. sets that based on life stage. And okay. so puppy does have certain nutritional requirements of growing puppy that an adult dog doesn't have. They're relatively similar. And if you're feeding adult, if your goal is to like, if you're working on optimizing, if you're talking about finding the difference between a, a food that's 45% protein and 50% protein, say, this stuff really isn't implicated. This is stuff that's much more towards like what's the bare minimum. And so for all intents and purposes, if, and again, I, I, you know, I advise people typically within the United States. And so I can speak to like the regulatory environment in which they're making decisions. Sure. And so in our case, what I say to them is like, you want to look for a food that's approved by AFCO, AFCO is the organization yeah. for growing puppies. There's kind of a, if you have a large breed puppy, some, um, Basically, there have been a cluster of studies done on Great Danes that are still growing, and they grow, they're so large, they grow so, bones grow so fast. You essentially have to feed them like special calcium restricted diets in order to prevent growth abnormalities. Okay. And so there are a few like little things like that that apply to very kind of specific nutrients for growing pups, particularly in large breeds. But for the vast majority of cases, puppy versus adult, the high protein, low carb as much as possible approach is holds water. Gotcha. Once you get to be a senior, the need for protein is more important than ever. They go through basically, I'm going through it. I regret to tell you, you're probably going through it too. I can't quite see how old you are there, but I know at 40 years old, my body has already begun to lose like protein turnover every year. That we start to lose muscle mass over, over time in a way that doesn't happen when you're 20. Yeah. Um, dogs experience the same thing. The phenomenon is called sarcopenia. And basically, as they it's the process of becoming a frail elderly person, uh, dog. Yeah. And so protein is more important than for any other life stage it is for them. That said, one of the big, the reason that I like fundamentally got so interested in carbohydrates and why I think it's so vital to reduce carbohydrate intake is chronic disease stuff, avoiding chronic disease in order to maximize lifespan and health span. Once a dog gets to a certain age, that stops being kind of the most important health consideration, right? Like if I, if my yeah. dog if I don't, if I have a 13 year old dog, I am going to be somewhat less concerned about it putting on weight because the like weight related comorbidities are less likely to develop over time. So I tend to be more, you know, indulgent in my yeah, yeah. treatment. In and I think we all are at that stage as well. You know, just, that's just the way it kind of works. Yeah. And then with respect to um, lifestyle, you know, it's, that's a fascinating topic. It's a fascinating topic. I don't know how much you know about, um, and the reason it's so interesting is because dogs metabolically are quite different from people in like one particularly important way. 
if you ever like engage in endurance style exercise, like hard running and stuff yeah. like that, you know, that carbohydrate is like, like glucose derived yeah. from carbohydrate is kind of the, that's the meat and potatoes of the, that's what you need to fuel a certain type of exercise, like above a certain threshold, you need that. And that's what you rely on. Dogs do that much less than people. They rely on free fatty acids to yeah. a much larger degree than, than people do for glucose. And the best example of it is all these interesting studies done on sled dogs. Dog, in yeah. And basically, if you talk to a, you know, a sled dog enthusiast, a musher, they'll tell you they don't they feed zero percent carbohydrate. Yeah. All they think like kind of like, you know, meat, whale meat, stuff like that. And it's all protein and fat. Yeah. And basically, the reason is like that's when you put when you introduce carbohydrate into the mix metabolism gets weird it brings their blood sugar up their insulin has to come in to like deal with that and so a much more like natural state for the dog is to just be burning fat for fuel and the best way to do that is to just take carbohydrate out of the diet altogether so like these you know it's been done like the studies have been done over and over and over again these guys eat zero carbohydrate and then run these dogs 60 miles a day for a week on end and that's like optimal for them whereas if you and i if I was to try to run a marathon while with zero carbohydrate in my body, it's like completely we're, different. We're not getting past the start line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're burning out. I, get, I can hold within my body 1,500 calories worth of glucose. After yeah. that, you've got to start taking it in. So gotcha. it's not like As a quick summary point, what sort of things can we as sort of laymen, purchasers of kibbles for our dogs, look for and do to make sure that we're getting the best for our dogs? Yeah, so I think that before even making a purchasing decision, you should get straight about what you're trying to achieve. And for me, I think that really basically the most impactful thing, other than making sure you don't poison your dog or give it some kind of deficiency disease, is body composition. Nothing has been shown more consistently to be helpful for the dog than to keep it super lean. Like yeah. not, you know, not a little, but like quite lean. I write sure. my book, it's like 150 page component of my book what is really optimal for a dog's body composition and for my money and for some other folks money as well. The answer is basically you can't be too lean as long as there's muscle, like good salt, you're not losing muscle mass. And as long as you don't have a disease, basically the leaner, the better, the leaner, the longer they're likely to live. So that's what I think should be folks lay person at home. That should be your kind of number one concern after acute things like poisoning and deficiency. Sure. Within that, I'm a big believer that basically you can't make a dog fat if you don't feed it carbohydrate. And so if you can feed it as much protein and as little carbohydrate as possible, that's how you're most likely to achieve that outcome. And if your budget and your tolerance allows it, feed it a commercially prepared all meat raw diet. Some raw diets um, in, in the U.S., like the it's unfortunate but true that like the touchstone for raw diets is their rawness sort of it's like what's made raw diets special over the years is unlike kibble you don't need carbohydrate to make the product like kibble is is essentially like baking and so you need starch in there to like hold it together when you heat yeah. up the dough and in a raw diet you don't have to do that so you can like plenty of folks make raw products that have zero carbohydrate that are all meat that doesn't mean you have to do it that way and so your right. concerns over price are still valid. And so like plenty of raw diets these days are sold where there's still 30, 40% carbohydrate, um, but it's raw. And so it looks super good. And that's in my eyes, that's deceptive. And what you should really be focused on is the like overall meat content and the protein, fat, and carbohydrate. 
And so, yeah, if you can afford that, you can tolerate that. That's probably the best answer for somebody looking to keep their dog optimally lean. Sweet. Excellent. Daniel, mate, I, I could chat with you about this for hours and hours on end. I'm, I'm fairly sure. Even though it's early in the morning, we could carry on with this. But I'd I, be happy to come back. You know, you, you can let me know. I can talk please, about this yeah. until the cows come home. <laughs> Absolutely. But thank you very That's much fair. for your time this morning. And yeah, I think we will definitely be doing this again at some point in the future. If you're looking for professional training or somewhere to board your dog, either short or long term, then check out Canine Point Academy. That's caninepointacademy.com or go to Facebook and search Canine Point Academy.